Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of All My Movies, where we cover all my movies. It's right there in the title. And today we are taking on one of my favorite movies to watch this time of year. Now, usually if we're doing a franchise, I want to try to do it in order. However, today's movie, Wes Craven's New Nightmare, is both part of the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise and also sits outside of it. And there's a really interesting story about how it ties in and out of the franchise, of the creator's lives, of the actor's lives. So many different things about this movie that I think are interesting to talk about that I picked it to talk about today. There's not going to be a guest. We're just going to talk about the movie. I'm going to do a little more summary than usual because if you haven't seen it, if you've lumped it in with just the other disappointing Nightmare on Elm Street sequels, they're not all disappointing, but a lot of them are, let's be honest, uh, then I think that you should really give this movie a second look because I certainly benefited from looking at it again after I'd kind of written it off, and I think you will too. Before we move on, if you're watching the show here on the Schmodown Entertainment Network on YouTube, you can listen to the show anywhere where podcasts are available, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, check it out there. And if you're listening to the show and you want to watch it, you can find the show on the Schmodown Entertainment Network on YouTube. It's like a circle. It works great like that. Also, don't forget, still, for a very limited time, the window is closing. You can get that GOAT merchandise. It is still available. It's been great to see. I've seen some people with the stickers. I've seen some people with the shirts. It's so much fun to see people grabbing this uh, and wearing it. I'm happy to support it here on the show. But you can't get this forever. Get it now while you can because the window is going to close on this pretty soon. Grab that goat merchandise. And before we get started, you know, there's the goat of the Schmodown and there's the goat of basketball. Uh, But then there are real life goats, the people that you meet uh, in everyday life. And there is one person who is a fellow Schmodown competitor and someone that I am lucky enough to call a friend who I consider to be a goat. uh, And that is Kevin Smets. Uh, Smets, uh, I'm lucky to know you. And I know that you are going to, as so many other people have said in the last few days, smash cancer. Um, You are my friend. I am here for you. The entire Schmodown community is here for you. And I cannot wait to play you because if you watch that exhibition match, I'm down 0-1 to Smets. And that is not going to stand. So get well soon, Smets, because you got some training to do. So to get the picture on where Wes Craven's New Nightmare falls in the Nightmare on Elm Street chronology, as well as just in the timeline of Wes Craven himself, you kind of have to go back to the beginning a little bit. Wes Craven, of course, the main creative force behind the original A Nightmare on Elm Street. But because of where he was in his career at the time, the fact that he was still an up-and-coming filmmaker, he sold the film A Nightmare on Elm Street's New Line Cinema, but did not retain any of the rights to the characters. And once that first movie was such a big hit, of course New Line wanted to franchise the hell out of that movie. Wes Craven did not really have much involvement in a lot of the sequels. As a matter of fact, he helped to begin the writing process on Nightmare on Elm Street 3, but ultimately uh, was not there for the entire film and really was disappointed in most of the follow-up films to the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. Adding to that disappointment was the fact that A Nightmare on Elm Street became a very lucrative thing for New Line Cinema for almost everyone involved except for Wes Craven, who did not have any kind of financial participation in the successes of that film franchise. And that led to a lot of bad blood, a lot of very public statements from Wes Craven about his dissatisfaction with the deal that he'd made and with the state of the franchise that he'd created. Freddy Krueger. Freddy, that's right. I like that movie. It was scary. Well, the first one was, but the rest sucked. As the 10 year anniversary of the first Nightmare on Elm Street film approached, and as it seemed like the character Freddy Krueger had sort of run its course, 
Bob Shea, the head of New Line, approached Wes Craven to be creatively involved in another sequel in the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise and to put a little bit of water under the bridge. So Bob Shea and Wes Craven worked out a deal where Wes Craven was going to be financially involved in this movie. He would be able to reap some of the benefits if the movie succeeded. And they mended a lot of those fences, which led to Wes Craven signing on to write and direct another installment in the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. So the concept of New Nightmare was actually an idea that Wes Craven had wanted to do for Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, which he still retained a writing credit on. It was this idea that Freddy Krueger was going to invade the real lives of the actual actors who were involved in the first film. But Wes Craven also wanted this to be a movie about horror films themselves and the criticism that he'd been hearing for years that they were not just too bloody and too violent, but actually harmful to the largely teenage audiences who were watching them. That has been uh, sort of a growing and insistent question continuously asked of me, and I think everybody else making horror films is, aren't you afraid your films cause this or that? There's a lot of great literature that is about horror and that somehow a story about horror, uh, in a sense, exercises it or gives it a form. It's, it's the same as Nancy dragging the hat out of her dream. It, it's the beginning of being able to come to terms with it. Part of reinventing the world for this film was for Wes Craven to take the character of Freddy Krueger, who would become almost like Max Headroom or Mickey Mouse or Snoopy, a, a pop culture icon, back to his roots as a scary character. After all, this is really something that was rooted in an actual nightmare that sprang from Wes Craven's head. And in order to do this, he had to take Freddy back to formula and redesign the character almost from the ground up. He wanted it to be something different, something new, more bulky and more muscular. I mean, everything on it was different. It's supposed to be the real Freddy. Uh, sometimes I think it was smart, sometimes I think it was a mistake. I don't know, I've gone around and around with that in my mind over the years. Heather Langenkamp also returned to the franchise for the second time. Her character of Nancy appeared in Nightmare on Elm Street 3 and was killed off. But in this movie, she would be appearing not as Nancy, but as herself. And as I mentioned, if you've written this movie off as just another Freddy Krueger sequel, this is where I think you should really start to explore what this movie is and what it means, not just to its characters, but to the actual people involved. There was a theme of how this our actual movie that we had all participated in it kind of haunted our lives and in a sense made it like we could not be something totally different from that film ever. New Nightmare opens with the real slash fictional Heather Langenkamp being menaced by a couple of things. One of them, persistent earthquakes that are rocking Los Angeles, which actually coincided with the 1994 Northridge earthquake. Footage from that was incorporated into the film. And also menacing calls from a stalker, which was drawn from a real incident in Heather Langenkamp's life. The menacing phone calls, by the way, and the way that they're shot, are not the only thing that this movie has in common with the film Scream, which would come two years later and help reinvent the entire genre. Hello? Freddy's coming for you. You hang up on me again, I'll cut you like a fish. One of the things I love that this film addresses inside the meta-narrative of the film is the effect of the actual Nightmare on Elm Street films on pop culture. And you see this when the character of Heather visits a talk show and is surprised by an appearance of Robert England as Freddy Krueger, the character, in full makeup. Now. 
As the film goes on, Langenkamp is left to raise her young son Dylan on her own when her husband, a special effects artist, is killed by whatever entity it is that's menacing her life. And this was doubly poignant because number one, Heather Langenkamp was and is married to a real-life special effects artist, David Leroy Anderson, who's actually a two-time Academy Award winner, and because Wes Craven accidentally, really, evoked memories of the death of his own father when he was a young boy, which is a realization he didn't even come to until after the movie was shot. When I was five years old, which is uh, about how old we were portraying Dylan, my father died suddenly of a heart attack, and I remember very clearly uh, the moment when my mother got the news. And there are several instances in the film where this uh, parallel became clear to me after the film was made, which was very strange for me and very, uh, very moving. I actually realized the first time when we were laying in the music or recording the music and uh, suddenly realized that in many ways Dylan was myself as a child. One thing that I think helps this movie as you're looking back on it, but perhaps hindered it at the time, is that the character or the evil entity of Freddy Krueger doesn't play a huge part in this movie until well over the halfway point. And Wes Craven goes for deeper scenes, setting up this family strife, and what I think are different kinds of scary scenes and really tense ones. For example, this one, which is set on a playground, when Dylan climbs a piece of playground equipment, putting himself in mortal danger. Are you all right? Are you sure? God wouldn't take me. As a matter of fact, the death of Heather's husband was only written in because New Line thought that the first half of the movie really needed more blood and gore. And, you know, I see where they're coming from. I really, really do. But I dig this approach that they take with the movie because I'm going to be honest, the first time that I saw a new nightmare, and I think it was probably on USA or sci-fi somewhere on television, I didn't really like it, and part of it was because I wasn't really invested in the franchise. I didn't know much about these characters. I was at the age where if I was going to watch a Nightmare on Elm Street film, and I hadn't really seen many at that point, I was watching it for Freddy Krueger, and there's not a whole lot of Freddy Krueger in this movie. It wasn't until later, as I got more into the Nightmare on Elm Street films, and as I was able to look deeper into the levels of this movie, that I understood what Wes Craven was doing, which is essentially playing with the fabric of reality, the fabric of his characters, and and the fabric of the franchise itself. Can you come with me in my dreams? I think that only happens in the movies. As Freddy makes his presence more and more known, Dylan is increasingly traumatized and eventually hospitalized. And this is where Wes Craven wrote in a bit of a cathartic character, a nurse who basically helped him exercise his own frustrations with the ratings board and the MPAA. Dr. Hefner which was intentionally a, sort of a backhanded tribute to the head of the MPAA until just this year, Dr. Richard Hefner, who uh, was the bane of my life for much of my film career. Every this to me is, is sort of epitomizes the argument that, uh, you know, by showing kids scary films, you cause them to do scary things. When all around us in the world, uh, any, everywhere you want to look, and certainly any front page of any day's newspaper, you'll see real-life horror stories on a scale that uh, dwarf absolutely anything that could be in a horror film. Again, there's so much more here when you dig deeper. Uh, in addition to this movie being, at the time, a very unheralded leader in the meta-horror movement that would really kick off a couple years later with Scream, this movie is as deeply personal as any art house movie that you can throw at me as far as looking into Wes Craven's mind, his psyche, and what he's thinking about, what he feels about his own work, the levels and the layers, his frustrations, his successes. All of that is in this movie, and that's what I think makes it so unique. I can't think of another horror movie that a director has poured his soul into more than this one. 
And at the time, I don't think it really got enough credit for that. Partially because now, with the benefit of hindsight, we've heard Wes Craven talk about this movie, and we have wonderful documentaries like Never Sleep Again. You've seen a couple clips from it already. It is a great recap of the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. It's about four hours long. Uh, It has so much great information. But we know now more what Wes Craven's intention with this movie was. It's a meditation on his work, on the impact of his work, on the legacy of his work. And that might be why Wes Craven gives himself maybe the most crucial scene in the movie. It's a very big expository scene, but it's about how in the absence of the stories containing evils like Freddy Krueger, that evil is left to run around the world unchecked and how Heather Langenkamp must now take on that mantle of Nancy and fight this evil back one more time. That was Nancy, Wes. It's not me. Yeah, but it was you that gave Nancy her strength. So in order to get out, he's got to come through you. As the barriers between reality and the evil world of the entity taking the form of Freddy Krueger begin to break down, the last 45 minutes or so of New Nightmare give me some of my favorite images and moments in the entire franchise. One of which is a genuine big shock and scare moment that I remember from the first time I watched the movie, which is Freddy's real actual entrance into the movie. Miss me. There's also a really effective scene in the hospital where Freddy kills the family babysitter that utilizes the same rotating room technique that Wes Craven used so effectively in the first Nightmare on Elm Street movie. And this is a good example of a director referencing his original work, but not being redundant, not relying on just repeating the same beats. Uh, And a lot of that is due to the fact that the tone is different. Here you have a small child watching this. You have the redesigned Freddy Krueger. Again, this is a much darker, Darker Freddy. And as we heard Wes Craven himself say uh, just a few minutes ago, uh, he's not really sure if that redesign was the best idea. But what it does is make this film stand out. And it doesn't make you sit there and wonder, why isn't Freddy cracking jokes? Why isn't Freddy being the quipster? Even though the story has set him up as something different, I think that the distinct visual look that Freddy has in this movie sets him apart as a character. He is evil personified. And I like that distinction even if audience members at the time were maybe a little disappointed that this wasn't the Freddy that they know and love. There's also a really effective action sequence pretty late in the film before we get to the big finale where Heather has to save her son as he wanders onto the highway. And this gives me one of my favorite images of any Nightmare on Elm Street movie as Freddy manifests himself uh, out of the clouds. I love this image of Freddy literally looming over in front of the moon of this world. It's a simple image, but I still find it so symbolic of the the power that he holds, literally lifting this young child up with one of his claws. Uh, I, I love that this movie, even though it is a meta movie, and even though it might not have a lot of Freddy Krueger action, still is able to paint some of the most striking pictures uh, of any of the Nightmare on Elm Street films. Ultimately, in order to save her son, Heather Langenkamp does become Nancy one last time. And this transition from the real world to basically the movie world within the movie world uh, is one of my favorites. It involves the actor John Saxon, who sadly passed away earlier this year, who plays Nancy's father in the Nightmare on Elm Street films. In this movie, he's playing himself. But mid-scene, there's this transition where he becomes the character from A Nightmare on Elm Street. And so does Heather Langenkamp. She becomes Nancy, and it's her acceptance of this fact that finally gives Freddy the full power and draws us into this conclusion. I love you, sweetheart. I love you too. 
Daddy. The film ends with a big fight between Heather and Freddy in Freddy's big demon lounge. And I call him Freddy. He really is some kind of ancient evil taking the form of Freddy Krueger. I've always thought that this finale is a little bit more toward what you would expect from a standard Nightmare on Elm Street film. There is some really good prosthetics and effects work, uh, but I think it's a little corny, a little cheesy, a little bit what you would expect from the seventh movie in the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. But I don't think it diminishes what's come before it. And what has come before it is a really innovative way to address storytelling inside this franchise. Unfortunately, audiences at the time didn't really think the same way. And you can chalk this up to a number of factors. This was the seventh Nightmare on Elm Street film in 10 years. They had just killed the character for good uh, three years prior. So perhaps people thought this was a redundant movie. This was an unnecessary movie. And it seems like New Line might have actually struggled with marketing a little bit because I was looking at the trailer for the movie and it's kind of a soft sell. It sells the the characters. It sells Bob Shea and Wes Craven. It, it, it kind of sells the concept, but it doesn't really sell the movie. And I wonder if that's another reason why people just didn't really quite know what it is that they were showing up for. In a town where movies go over schedule and directors go over budget, Something far more evil is out of control. New Nightmare was released on October 14th, 1994 and placed third at the box office behind the debut of a little film called Pulp Fiction and the Sylvester Stallone, Sharon Stone film, The Specialist. And within a few weeks, it was outside of the top 10. It was and still is the lowest grossing entry in the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. So, while creatively Wes Craven may have felt energized, audiences did not feel that energy, and as a matter of fact, they largely turned their backs on the movie. Surprisingly, one group that didn't really turn their backs on New Nightmare were the critics, who many of them had just ravaged the previous Nightmare on Elm Street movies. As a matter of fact, if you recall last week, I talked to Mark Draco about Friday the 13th and Friday the 13th Part 2, and the fact that Siskel and Ebert, who at the time were by far the loudest and most recognized voices in film criticism, hated the slasher genre. They thought it was misogynistic. They thought it was actually uh, what Wes Craven was talking about with these movies, bad for the teenagers that were watching them. Well, it turns out that this new approach to the movie was able to turn one of them. Wes Craven's new nightmare is the first horror movie that is actually about the frequently asked question, don't the people who make these films ever ask themselves about the effect the films have? It's smart, it's scary, and it's curiously thought-provoking. It didn't provoke a single thought in my oh, head. Come, come, no, come. no, 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 I don't. Watching that clip back, I, I think it's so ironic that Gene Siskel... Uh, said that this didn't cause him to think a single thought because this was pretty much this entire movie, a reaction to the exact same things that he and Ebert had been saying for years about these horror films. And I'm not saying he was obligated to like it, but I think it goes to show that sometimes even our favorite critics, even the ones that we love the most, have blind spots. And for Gene Siskel to kind of shrug this off and say, it didn't make me think a single thing, I think kind of shows that he didn't really go into it uh, open to, to thinking a single thought. I think he wrote this movie off before he even watched a single frame of it. And it just goes to show you that critics can be our favorite critics. And Gene Siskel is to this day, uh, one of my favorite critics. And, and, and along with Ebert helped introduce me to the world of film criticism, a big reason why I'm sitting right here. But it goes to show you that sometimes they just kind of miss the point. Regardless of New Nightmare's failure, Craven two years later would start a new franchise 
the Scream franchise, which according to Wes Craven himself, was aiming for a bit of a different target. I think it was the precursor to like Scream. New Nightmare was made for the people who made the film, kind of adults. Scream was made for the audience that watches the film. Craven's last film was actually Scream 4 before he sadly passed away in 2015. And last year, the rights to Freddy Krueger and A Nightmare on Elm Street passed back to the Wes Craven estate. Although Freddy has been off movie screens since 2010's disappointing remake of A Nightmare on Elm Street. Nobody really knows what the future holds for the Freddy Krueger character for the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, but Wes Craven seemed to have a bit of a hint about what a big part of his legacy would be. Somebody once, when I was first starting in films in New York, says, if you want something on your gravestone in, your, in the film business, I think the best thing is filmmaker. If you can honestly say that, that's all you need to say. And that's, uh, that I think would, I would like that on my gravestone, along with whatever you do, don't fall asleep. New Nightmare is actually part of a set of Nightmare on Elm Street films I have. It's this set that you've probably seen on Amazon. It always sells out right around Halloween. As a matter of fact, I was just looking at it. It is sold out for right now until early November. Uh, it actually came as a pretty good deal. It's the entire Nightmare on Elm Street collection, all seven films, the first seven films in the franchise before we go into Freddy vs. Jason and the remake, etc. It goes from A Nightmare on Elm Street to New Nightmare, which is the last film in the series. This is actually a really good set because they're not just bare bones discs. A lot of these movies actually have special features. We're going to be going over the other six in this set uh, in the weeks and months and years to come. Uh, so, and, and we're not going to jump around too much with this franchise. The next Nightmare on Elm Street film that we do, I'm sure will probably be the original. What I love about these movies is they each have their own narrative. Uh, the weirdness of Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2 and everything that's going on underneath the level of that film, the quality, surprising quality to many of Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, and then the kind of descent into madness of Nightmare on Elm Street 4 and Nightmare on Elm Street 5, and then the kind of dull thud of Nightmare on Elm Street 6 with Freddy's dead, not really. Uh, but so there's so many different things to talk about. It's why it's really my favorite horror franchise, because each movie has its own story. We're going to tell all of these stories here on the show. But New Nightmare, as part of this Blu-ray package here, has uh, some pretty good uh, features. Now, again, like I said, not a lot. There's a commentary from Wes Craven. We heard little bits of it uh, during the show that was recorded, I think, in 1995. So pretty fresh off making the movie. There's also some interviews with Wes Craven that you've seen, the theatrical trailer. So not a whole lot, but the disc itself actually has uh, some uh, retrospective about Freddy Krueger. There are a couple of episodes of the Freddy's Nightmares, a TV series, it's little things like that. So a lot of times when you buy these movies, uh, when you get six or seven at a time, you're getting a, a pretty bare bones package. If you can find this one at an affordable price, I would say if you're a Nightmare on Elm Street fan and you don't have these films yet, then this is a great package to find. Also, like I said, I have the DVD actually, or I should say the Blu-ray of Never Sleep Again. Um, I'm actually kind of glad that we did Friday the 13th 1 and 2 and New Nightmare in back-to-back -back weeks because this Blu-ray is a double feature of Never Sleep Again and Crystal Lake Memories, two great documentaries about these iconic horror franchises. So if you can find this disc, uh, of these two documentaries, I highly recommend that. They're also streaming on different services. I think Never Sleep Again is on Shudder, Crystal Lake Memories maybe as well. They seem to rotate between uh, availability, so maybe you can catch them on a service that you have as well. 
So that wraps up my thoughts on Wes Craven's New Nightmare. I'm always curious to hear what you thought about the movie. When did you see it for the first time? For me, it was on cable. Did you see it in theaters? Have you maybe not seen it? Did you write it off with the rest of the Nightmare on Elm Street films? Let me know down below. I love hearing your feedback. And please don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube show, to subscribe to the podcast as well. Drink the show in with your eyes. Drink the show in with your ears. However you decide to watch the show, uh, I love having you here with me as we explore all my movies. Uh, Next week, we have a really cool show as we're leading up to the premiere of The Mandalorian. I mentioned that when we start franchises, we're going to start at the beginning. We are going to start the Star Wars franchise next week, and my guest will be probably the biggest Star Wars expert that I know and maybe the most passionate person about Star Wars in the galaxy. Mr. Ken Knapsack will be joining me to talk Star Wars, A New Hope from 1977. So, Please join me then. We are going to get deep into a galaxy far, far away. But until then, it's time to go back on the show. Thanks for watching. Today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.